Hi guys, welcome to CIV Alhambra. You guys can come in and take your seats. We're about to worship our Lord and Savior today. So again, welcome and uh, thank you for coming today. If everyone can stand as well, that'd be great.
Hi, my name is Mark Klepsig, and I'd like to welcome you all here today, whether you're watching from home on Zoom or here in the courtyard with us. Uh, it is a decidedly smaller crowd in the courtyard today. Every year, um, the USC crew goes and has a fall discipleship conference, and I know that's a really impactful time for them, so we can be praying for them and some of the decisions that will be made this weekend. So um, if you're our guest this morning, we do have a free gift for you. It's a book that's called How Good is Good Enough. Uh, that's over here on the guest resource table. I encourage you to grab one of those for yourself or for your family and friends. Uh, it's a really good book. You can find uh, our listening guide for the message later today uh, and a connection card and offering envelopes in, uh, in, the, in the package that was handed to you or offered to you as you walked in. If you missed that, those are also on the guest resource table. And you can find them digitally online at civalhambra.com slash Sunday. Um, I just would uh, encourage you, you can... Uh, give online or you can give in that envelope. There'll be buckets around the courtyard where you can drop that off uh, and you can also drop the uh, programs and we'll recycle the parts of those that need recycling as well. So we really would encourage you to fill out a connection card today. That's how we know what's going on with you, how you can give us uh, information that we can be praying for you. Um, and then there's also uh, things to respond to. Um, so if you are a first or second time guest, I just encourage you to let us know if, if that's the case or you're out of town guest. And let us know how you heard about us because that um, helps us ha use our resources wisely as we reach out to the community. So we have a harvest party coming up next week, October 31st. That'll be Sunday here in the courtyard from 2 to 4 p.m. Um, and as you can imagine, it takes a lot of work to turn the courtyard into a series of carnival games and crafts for the kids and some food. So if you would like to help and sign up, um, there's opportunities still, a few spots left uh, to serve. And you, there's a QR code in your program, or you can just write on your connection card today that you'd be willing to help us. Um, and then we'll find a spot for you. It's lots of fun as we see the kids come in costume uh, and get to, get to connect as a family. A second opportunity uh, to serve is Operation Christmas Child. And I'm one of those people that loves singing Christmas carols all year round, so um, I'm excited. I think announcing Operation Christmas Child gives me the right to start singing Christmas carols again, so I'm gonna use that and leverage that. Um, but there's a, there's a non-denominational Christian organization called Samaritan's Purse, um, and they respond uh, with spiritual and physical aid to hurting people. They, they respond to emergencies and catastrophes, natural disasters. But also every year, um, they organize thousands of people put together uh, shoebox size boxes with uh, gifts, uh, office supplies, school supplies, really, for kids um, and other things. And we send those. Uh, there's, a, there's a collection date, which is... November 21st, we'll be collecting them here at church, and then they go off and they distribute those around the world to kids that wouldn't have any kind of a Christmas gift otherwise. So that's a really fun time. Um, we used to go as a family, and it's fun to have your kids pick out toys until they realize it's for somebody else. Uh, and they, that really grows uh, their perspective, and we give together as a family. So that's a fun thing that you guys can take part in. Um, and we'll be having more information as that collection day comes near. The last uh, announcement is that there's the time change coming soon. Not next Saturday, but two Saturdays on uh, November 6th. We will fall back and put our clocks back an hour, so just notification. 
If you forget, you can come be part of the setup team here at church. We'll put you to work. Um, or you can grab a coffee. All right, once again, we're really glad that you're here with us and that you've come to worship together. We have one more song of worship, and then John will come and bring this message. Shadows. 
want to pray and lift up your name, God. Thank you for your grace and your unending grace, Lord. I just pray for John as he speaks today, Lord, that we open our hearts and our minds to receive um, you and your Holy Spirit. I thank you, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. Do you know that God loves you? Is that something that's rooted deep in your heart? Is that something that fills your, your thoughts and your mind? The love of God. This morning we're going to be talking about understanding the love of God. Of course, it's a love that can perhaps never be fully grasped, but it's a love that we still want to grasp as much as we can. And, and uh, it's a love that is be, at one level beyond understanding. And yet this is the, the wonderful thing about God. He's so great, so infinite, so amazing, that it's impossible for us tiny humans to understand him. But he's so great and so amazing and so infinite that he's able to make himself known, to communicate himself, to reveal himself to us in a way that's true and meaningful and sufficient. And that's the wonder of God. He's infinitely able to communicate himself and to make, a, make himself known and to reveal himself to us. He's infinitely able to speak to us, even if you're the spiritually most deaf person in the world. You think, you know, I just, I'm so spiritually hardened, I'm so deaf, I can't hear God's voice. I don't know what he's saying. I don't understand him. I'm just unable to really tune into this spiritual stuff to really get to grips with what God's about. That doesn't matter. He can shout louder than your spiritual deafness. He is able to communicate. He's able to reveal himself. And he wants you to understand his love. Because that, that raises the question of what do we mean when we're talking about love? And what is love? Of course, we all know that the word love can be used in a whole range of ways. You know, you can fall in love with someone uh, and uh, you can fall out of love equally as quickly. Uh, you can love steak or Thai food. Uh, you can love your favorite sports team and you can hate the opposition. Amazing how love and hate language is it's just so part of us. But is that what we're talking about? A lot of that kind of language is just meaning it means we really like something. It's emotional. It's a feeling. And is love a feeling? And of course it is. But it's much more than a feeling. Much, much more. So we're going to talk about today, we might want to think about what's the love of God? What does that mean? Does that mean that God is just really nice? Is, is God just a really nice God? He's a nice person. He's nice in himself. He's uh, maybe something like Father Christmas. Is that what God is like? He's just kind of rather genial, long-bearded long character who lives in the sky, and he just wants to pat us on the head and say, well done, boys and girls, and I'll give you some presents. Is that what God's love is about? Maybe the love of God is about a friendship. Of course it is. It is about a friendship, 
but it's not a buddy-buddy friendship, right? It's not a friendship of equals. It's, it's a rich, intense friendship that you can have with the Lord Jesus, with God the Father, through the Holy Spirit. It's a rich, intense friendship. But don't, but don't ever make the mistake of thinking that it's a friendship of equals. Definitely he's in charge and we're not. He's the boss and we're not. He's Lord and we're not. And so it's a different kind of friendship. So this passage we're going to look at today, I think gives us some clues into the meaning of the love of God. It helps us really understand the love of God for Israel, of course, in this passage where we're looking at the book of Deuteronomy, but also for us as his people, the church. So we're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 15. I, on, the, on your notes, it'll say verses 7 to 15, but I've just added the verse 6 as well I'm going to, to my reading and to my discussion today. So we'll start at verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It's not because you are more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain, and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. In the land that he swore to your fathers to give you, you shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock, and the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew will he inflict on you, but he will lay them on all who hate you. Well, that's a remarkable passage about the love of God. And of course, when this is being spoken, and uh, this is part of a speech that Moses is making to the nation of Israel, and they are on the east side of the Jordan River before they go into the Promised Land, and Moses is telling them all the things that remi and reminding them everything they need to remember as they go into the, the promised land because he's not coming with them and he, this is kind of his last big speech and he wants to take the opportunity to tell them what they need to remember, to remind them of what the Lord has done for them, to give them instructions as they're going forward. And a lot of this, a lot of this in Deuteronomy is revisiting what's already been said in Exodus and, and Numbers and, uh, and Leviticus and because that's why it's called... Deuteronomy, meaning the second law, it's meaning the second reading of the law, second telling of the law of God. But you can hear from what we've just read, this is not just a series of laws. This is not just 
commandments, it's an expression of God's love to Israel as they're about to head into the promised land that they need to know about his love. But the context is more specific than that. Right before our passage and immediately after our passage, there's some rather interesting stuff here because that's where God is telling to Israel through Moses, when you go over the Jordan into the promised land, you're going to need to clear the land. You're going to need to fight and destroy these other nations that are there before you. And that's what God wants them to do. And so it's rather interesting that this incredible passage on the love of God is in the middle of, a, is right in, in between two passages talking about God executing judgment on nations that are not following him by destroying them. And so how does that help us understand the love of God? And so this is one of the things we're going to try and explore this morning. And so to begin with, for verses 6 through 8, we'll talk about the unconditional love of God. This is what he says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. Well, that's an incredible thing. They are God's own people. This is a privilege, right? It's a privilege. They're chosen to be God's people. There's lots of nations in the world, lots of peoples, lots of languages. God somehow has chosen Israel for his own possession out of all the peoples on the earth. And so the question is, well, why? Why Israel? Why would he do that? God, you've got lots of nations you could have chosen, you know. Why not the English, right? I mean, why not the Chinese? Why not the Fijians? Why not the Incas? Why did God choose Israel? And in verse 7, this discusses this. He says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. All right? It's not, this is God saying to Israel, really, it's not you, it's me. Not that I'm breaking up with you, the opposite. But it's not you. It's not that you're so impressive, he says. It's not that many of you. God didn't choose the most powerful nation, the wealthiest nation, the most educated nation, the most civilized nation. Not even chose the best nation, the most holy nation. He didn't choose them because they were so impressive. It's really not you. You're not that impressive, he says to them. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 to 29, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks to the Corinthians, and this is in the New Testament, and he said, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
you know, just look, look around you today. Look at the, the people at church, right? Not that, honestly, you know, you, you, I mean, we love you and all that, but not that impressive, honestly, you know. And uh, same as you look at me, think, who's that guy? What's he doing up there? This collection of people that God has put together is not because we're particularly impressive. It's not because we had things that God needed in his task force. Right? Of course. Can you hear me? Okay. It's not that God needs you because you're so impressive, so wise, so intelligent, so rich. so virtuous what are we doing here why has God chosen Israel here not because they were the most impressive but they were the least this is God showing that he's going to do in the world what he wants to do through those who are the least impressive and he's going to do it for his own glory to demonstrate that we need him much more than he needs us, amen? He's going to do this, and, it's, and God has set his love on Israel here, and it's in order for them, for the nations of the world to understand the goodness and the grace of God, as Paul says, so that no, mon, no human being may boast in the presence of God. Right? Think about... Well, we'll just go back a couple of pages in Deuteronomy to chapter 4 and verse 37. He loved because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he personally brought you out from Egypt by his great power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you. To, get, to bring you in and to give you their land for an inheritance as it is today that's what he says just a couple of chapters before in chapter four this is the fact god chose abraham that's genesis 12 right god called abraham he said i'm going to bless you and i'm going to make your blessing to the nations of the world and nations that curse you i will curse nations that bless you i will bless but god chose abraham and because god chose abraham he chose Abraham's descendants, Israel. In other words, and we get this in verse 8 of our text in, in Deuteronomy 7, not because you're more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for the fewest of all, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but verse 8, it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers keeping the promise, in other words, that he promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. That's it. It's not you that impressed it, but he loved Abraham. <laughs> he chose Abraham. You know, the Bible's very clear that the church is chosen by God in 
Christ, right? This is one that says, for example, in the book of Ephesians and chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ, just as he chose us in him, before, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. The church is chosen what? In Christ. That means, actually, what it means is that Christ is the chosen one. And before the foundation of the world, the Son of God was always going to be the one in whom God was going to bless and through whom God was going to bless his creation. The Son of God was always going to be the one through whom creation was made and for whom everything was made. He was always going to be the center and the goal and the one in whom everything comes together. And in him, God's church has been chosen and the purpose of that choosing is that they would be holy and blameless before God. God chose, you with, God chose the church with a purpose. What it is, it's in Christ. It's not because of you. And it's to make you holy. To make you into what he always intended you to be in his, act, in his very act of creation. So what we're saying here is that love of God is unconditional. It's not, it's not conditioned by anything in you right? It's not conditioned by anything in your character, your genetics, your race, your family. It's nothing like that. It's totally unconditional, and it's his initiative. It's his faithfulness to his promises. God chose Jesus, and if you're in Jesus, you're blessed. This is the unconditional love of God. It's his deliverance in our passage of Israel. He says, it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You know, when God rescued Israel, he put a claim on them. By delivering them, he redeemed them. He, if you like, he paid the price for them to be released from slavery. They are now belong to him. But it's unconditional. It wasn't that Israel was all that impressive. And that, oh, it wasn't because they had more potential than any other people. It's because they didn't. That God saved them and rescued them to be his representative nation in the world. And it, was, it, was never that, it wasn't that God forgot the rest of the world. He wanted to bless the world through this nation. It's the same with the church, right? It's not that we're so impressive, so wonderful, so marvelous. Look at us, aren't we great? It's because God loves the world that we are chosen to be, that the church has the task of reaching the world and he's got a people now of which if you're a believer here today, you're part of that people. He's got a people that's going to influence and spread into the world and reach the world because of the unconditional love of God, in fact, for the whole world. The unconditional love of God is for every single person. It's what we read in the Bible, John 3, 16. You know this, where God, what? Loved the world in this way. What way did he love the world? That he sent his only son. Whoever believes in him would not die, but have everlasting life. That's God's unconditional love for the world. And his love for Israel 
is unconditional. His love for the church is also unconditional. And it's in for the Israel. Their love is because of Abraham. He called Abraham. It wasn't even that Abraham was particularly righteous, but he believed God. And in Genesis 15, 6, when God said to Abraham, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, lots of descendants. Look up at the stars. I'm going to give you that many descendants. And Abraham had trouble, you know, with his, his wife was barren. And so and this is a, tr- is a problem. And, and he was getting old. And so Abraham, but Abraham believed the promise of God. And it says it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Not that it was righteousness. God just counted it like that. It wasn't Abraham's righteousness. It was his faith. If you're coming to Jesus, right, because you know he loves you, and he, doesn't, he loves you just the same as he loves everyone else in the world, it's not because you're special, not because you're different, because he loves you, because he made you. It's unconditional. You don't have to be good to come to Jesus. You just have to believe, just to trust him. So he's put a claim on you. He owns you by delivering you through Jesus, through his death and resurrection on the, his death on the cross, his resurrection, God has claimed the world back for himself, the world that he already owns by making it. He has reclaimed it through the cross, through the death of Christ for everyone in the world. He's put a claim on us that he, we, and he owns us and we owe him. That's the love of God. It's unconditional it's unconditional. Now, let's look at the next part of our passage, verses 9 to 11. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He'll repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. This is about the covenant love of God. The first part of the passage was about the unconditional love of God. The second part here is about the covenant love of God. Now, covenant love is faithful, committed love. Covenant love is faithful, committed love. And in this series we're talking about uh, over this last week and, and today and in future times, we're talking about trusting in the character of God. And remember that we're basing this series on a passage back in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, and also on a passage back in, in Exodus 20, verse 5 and 6. That is, that's in the Ten Commandments, and then in Exodus 34, God revealing himself to Moses on Mount Sinai. And these passages give us insight into the character of God that we can trust in and know and rely upon. So what he says here in Deuteronomy 7 is based on those revelations that God had already given about himself on Mount Sinai. For example, in Exodus 20, verse 5 and 6, second commandment, you, sh- you know, you should not, you're not going to make idols, you're not going to make graven images, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And you can see in this passage in Deuteronomy 7, hear the echoes of that passage from Exodus 20, right? 
But in, notice also the variation. Where is in Exodus 20 verse 5, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And that's also true. But here, the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, just as he says back in Exodus 20 verse 6, to thousands of generations for those who love him and keep his commandments. But he also is a God who repays or visits sin of the fathers and the children of the third and fourth generation. In this passage, we don't get that third and fourth generation language. What we do get is that he repays to those face those who hate him. That language, those who hate him, straight out of Exodus, out of the Ten Commandments, straight out of Exodus 20, verse 5. So this is what we call intertextuality. It's one part of the Bible alluding to another. And Deuteronomy, picking up the language of Exodus 20, and then our passage is also picking up the language from, Gen from Exodus 34, when the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed his character. Remember that in our passage in Deuteronomy 7, it says the Lord is a faithful God. Well, what did, Moses, what did God reveal to, about himself to Moses on the mountain? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. So these, these revelations of God about himself are what Israel keeps coming back to when they need to know and understand who he is. They go back to this text. They go back to what he's already said and say, that's what you're like, Lord. That's what you're like. This is covenant love. It's steadfast. It's faithful. It goes on for thousands of generations. It's his personal commitment. It's mercy and justice. All right? Now, it's covenant love is his personal, consistent, faithful commitment to Israel and, of course, to us. It's his pursuing love. You know, in my family... Uh, my dad was a wonderful father, but, you know, he never really told me he loved me. You know, once in my life I can remember he told me he loved me. That was right nearly not long before he passed away. And he just, you know, I don't know where he just found, he was one of the, maybe part of that generation that just found it difficult to express affection verbally. So, but I knew he loved me, and that, that, the, one of the memories I have that I really know, sort of speaks to me, how do I know that my father loved me, was, well, the time I ran away from home, right? So, when I was just a kid, you know, and I got upset about something and I just ran out the front door and took off. And it was no planning. I didn't like take a bundle of clothes or anything. I just ran. I'm running away. And uh, just running down the street, you know, and as fast as I could. I'm leaving home. I'm had it. I'm sick of it. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. And I was running away. And then I hear something behind me, right? footsteps and I was a couple of blocks away by this time and I turn around there's my dad and he's running after me you know that's what dads do but you know it wasn't all that unusual but it was funny because I had you know I was running because I I felt bad I felt I'd been mistreated well I wasn't mistreated I just felt it you know it's one of those things kids they get in a huff and it was that that day that somehow I knew that my dad really did love me because when I ran away, he was pursuing me. And he caught up with me and he brought me back home. The pursuing love of God, his personal commitment to Israel over time, 
his personal commitment to his church over time, the people that he's made a covenant with. But God's covenant love is a love that looks for a response. It's a love that looks for a response back to him. Look what we, listen again to this text. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love to those who, who want. Love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God's covenant love is a relational love. It's for those who love him and keep his commandments. It's the love of a king. It's the love of a father. You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that God disciplines those he loves. Because he loves them is really the point, right? If God didn't love us, he wouldn't discipline us. He wouldn't train us. He wouldn't judge our wrongdoing. He would just let us get away with anything that we want to do and suffer the consequences without even trying to restore us. So God's covenant love is meant, according to this passage, it's meant to lead to obedience, right? His love is meant to lead to a response of trust and obedience. His love is meant to prompt us to respond to his covenant love with our own love and obedience. And God's covenant love looks for a response of obedience, of love back. It's a love, however, that is also not just mercy, but justice. We saw in, see in verse 10, he repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will pay him to his face. You know, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see this again and again, that God is a God of justice as much as he is a God of mercy. Maybe a little more balanced to mercy, right? But he is a God of justice. He is a God of judgment, and he has to do that. He is, after all, in charge of things. He is the governor. He is the Lord. It is his world, and he's got to keep it the way, he's making it into the way he wants to make it. And so God's love is not simply a Father Christmas love that just pats you on the head and wishes you're a good boy, but gives you a present anyway, right? God's love is not just being nice. God's love, God's covenant love is a love that is both merciful and just that punishes disobedience and hatred. Love and obedience is rewarded to a thousand generations, but God's love is not incompatible with his justice and his judgment and his discipline. Far from it. You know, sometimes kids, when their parents discipline them, they think, you hate me, right? Because they have to discipline them. But it's not at all. You do it out of, well, you should do it out of love. Because you're making those, you're trying to train those kids into something that won't, so they won't be self-destructive later on. You're trying to train them to be something so that they're carried to get shape in a way that's going to help them and help others. And if you don't discipline your kids, you're not really showing love because you're just tra you're training them to be self-indulgent. And when, the more they do that, the, the worse people they're going to be, right? And the more destructive they're going to be in the way that they live and, and act around everybody else. So, 
covenant love of God calls for obedience to obey the loving God. That's what he says to them in verse 11 there. So you be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Obey the covenant love of God. Our final portion of the passage, verse 12 to 15, and now we're going to talk about this, the conditional love of God, the conditional love of God. And that might be a surprise because the first part of this text is about the unconditional love of God. So what's up with this conditional love? That's really weird. Have you, we've been, anybody who's been in church for a while has been taught over and over and over again, God's love is unconditioned. It's full of grace. It's not dependent on who you are, what you do. He loves you just as much if you, if you disobey him as if you obey him. He loves you just as much no matter what you do. We've been taught that. And guess what? That's all true. But it also is conditional. Let's listen again to the text from verse 12 to 15. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord will God, your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers, he will love you, bless you, and multiply you. If you obey, he's going to, get, he's going to love you because you listen and you keep and you do what he says. Now that just, what's up with that? Where did this conditional love come from? In the, it's in the Bible. And how does that relate to the first part of the passage, the unconditional love of God? Well, you know, in John chapter 14, verse 21, Jesus says this, John 14, 21. He says this, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Right? And he who loves me will be loved, will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And I will manifest myself to him. That's the conditional love of God, right? God loves everyone in the world equally. However, there's a special love relationship for those who love him. There's a special blessing for those who love him, who respond in faith and trust and obedience and love to God's unconditioned love, and they experience a special love of the Father. Those who stayed loyal to the Father experience his covenant blessings in a way that others cannot. Well, that's conditional. There is a blessing for those who love him, for those who obey him, for those who do what he says. It's, it's inescapable, it's in the Bible, it's true. Not, it's not that God loves you more when you obey than he did before. It's just that there's a kind of love relationship that you can experience when you are responding to God in obedience and trust that you cannot experience when you're running from him in hate and anger and resentment and self-will. So look at verse 13. He will love you, bless you, and 
multiply you. Right? That's, that's, by the way, this reminds me of Genesis chapter 1, where God created the world and he created men and women in his image. Verse 27, 28, God created, of, of Genesis 1, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God what? Blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It was always God's intention to bless and to set his love upon human beings, to do them good, and to, for them to multiply in the earth, to be fruitful. And here is what he, and so this echoes again, an echo of Genesis here in Deuteronomy 7. He will love you, bless you, multiply you. He will increase the, bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and your young of your flock. You'll not be a male or female barren among your livestock. That, that incredible blessing that he promises to Israel here is what he already, had always intended to do and wanted to do for the whole world. The blessing that God wanted to give Israel was the blessing that he wants to give everyone. And yet, he, he, they turned away from him, but he found, an, he found a man, Abraham, and he chose a nation to represent him and to spread his love, if you like, into the world. And that's what happens to the church. We are blessed to be a blessing, as God said to Abraham in 12, chapter, Genesis 12, 1 to 3 there, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. So, God delights to bless Israel here. He set his love on them. He's going to bless them and multiply them. And the language we've just read speaks about fruitfulness and productivity. I'm going to, he's going to bless the fruit of their womb. That's it, having kids. He's going to bless the fruit of your ground, your grain, your wine, your oil, your herds, your flocks, right? By the way, that's a promise of fruitfulness. This is the conditional love of God. He gives them fruitfulness and productivity. By the way, it still implies work, right? To bless the fruit of their herds and the flocks, to bless, to bless their crops, doesn't mean that they're going to have to sit, you know, sit under a palm tree eating, you know, and, and somebody else is going to bring them the, the food. They still have to work. But he's going to bless their work and he's going to bless their relationship with the land. Remember that in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the land and, and made and made you, tilling the land just a lot harder. And here he's promising that he's going to make it a bit easier. He's going to make it at least more fruitful. He's going to bless them. Israel is going to be a signpost in the world for the kind of thing that God wants to do with the entire world of what he always intended to do in the world and he, want, and he still wants to do in the world. They're going to be blessed above all nations, according to verse 14, the special object of God's love. This is God's covenant and now conditional love of God, his conditional love. Even in these promises is the promise of health and healing the promise of health and healing, right? I'm not, I will t you will take away all sickness and none of those evil diseases that you, you, you knew in Egypt that he was going to inflict on you. That's an incredible promise. He's going to bless them with health. 
And does that mean they're going to live forever? No, but they're going to be healthy. And, uh, you know, why did... So when Jesus comes, right, he, one of the things Jesus does most of is heal people. And he loves to heal people. Why does he do it? Well, he has compassion on the sick. Of course, that's the number one reason. Jesus heals because he wants to. He has compassion on those who suffer. But what is it symbolizing? What is that healing of Jesus representing? It represents, if you like, what he always wanted to do for the whole world, for the world to experience his goodness, his kindness, his grace, his productivity, and his health, and his freedom. That was God's, always God's plan for the world that human evil got in the way of, human rejection of God got in the way of. If we go to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 3 and 4, and this is a picture of what's going to happen when God finally restores everything when Jesus comes back, and it says this, Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The ultimate intention of God is to take away all the pain of this world. The pain, the mourning, the death, the tears. And he's going to be with them. God always wanted to walk with the humans that he'd created. He wanted, like he used to walk with Adam in the garden. He wanted, he found a man called Enoch who walked with him. And so God said, oh, I'm taking him early. And he, and he took him to be with him. He wanted, he walked with people like, like Noah. And God wanted to cut, he walked in Israel, presencing himself in the desert there, in the, in the tabernacle, and then in, later in the temple. He walked, and he came and walked with us in person, Jesus, the Son of God, God himself in the flesh, coming and walking with us and healing people. This is God who wants to do good. This is God who wants to bless. This is God who wants to heal and to help. Now, we live in this kind of in-between times, right, where Jesus has come, the Son of God has come. He has died for the sins of the world. He has conquered evil. He's conquered death. He's conquered by raising from the dead. And yet, people still die. Things still hurt. Pain still exists. But the healing that God does for his people as they come to him and as they, as they do good in the world, that healing and that fruitfulness that he wants to bless his people with is going to represent in the nations what God wants to do with everyone. It's not that it's going to be perfect, this side of Jesus' return. But, it's going, but God wants to bless because he loves to bless. He loves those he loves, and he, he loves us, and he wants to bless. But he's, it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be pain, and there's going to be hurt, and there's going to be wounding. And yet, there's going to be tremendous blessing. This is a conditional love of God. This is why God heals. This is why God blesses and makes someone productive. This is why God multiplies them and gives them children. Why? Just because 
that's what he loves to do for everyone and he loves to bless and listen if we haven't had your healing if you haven't if you're still struggling in poverty this does not mean god doesn't love you we live in an imperfect world that is not yet perfected and even when those blessing and israel never experienced a time when they were completely free of sectus even with this promise from deuteronomy it doesn't mean he doesn't love you what it does mean is that when god works through you to bless others as you pray for them and they are healed and they become productive they're fruitful they meet the lord they experience his blessing this is a witness to the world focus not on what he wants what he wants to do for you but what he can do through you in the world so let's check conclusion about what the love of god means the word i'm going to talk about now just briefly at the conclusion of this is the word benevolence benevolence it's a long word it's got four syllables i know but just bear with me here this is the love of god his unconditional love for the world his covenant love for israel for his church his conditioned love for those who obey his conditional love and blessing for those who obey him and love him in return all of this speaks of the nature and the character of god in this way that god is benevolent god that means what that means is he wants to do good that god is fundamentally good in his character and he wants to do good to you and to every person in the world that's god's fundamental love his see god's love is this biblical love is this it's doing what's best for someone else even at cost to yourself it's doing what's best for someone else even when it costs you that's exactly what god did through jesus the suffering the death of jesus his son the crucifixion the torture of jesus all of that was best for us for the for every person in the world that's benevolence his resurrection was for us that is for the world for the for the nations of the world and for his church his heart is a heart of love that means fundamentally listen he wants to do good he chooses to do good he chooses what's best for you that might mean sometimes discipline in your life it might mean dealing with issues that get in the way of him blessing you but even that is a sign of his fatherly love even that is a sign of his fatherly love if you're going to walk with god you need to trust in his benevolence that is in his love that it's a love that chooses all the time to do good to do what's best coming from a good heart a loving heart trust in the love of god amen all right let's have pray and we're going to sing again now dear lord our dear god what an incredible thing is that you love the world and you love us incredible the, the the amazing good benevolent kind rich love of god the pursuing faithful covenant love of god you're amazing 
the love of God that sets your love upon this world, upon your son, and upon all those who are in and live with your son, all the, those who follow him. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this undeserved love. We thank you for the covenant love of God, for the wonderful blessing of knowing you and knowing this God who is love. We thank you in Jesus' name. John and um, for your message on our benevolent, benevolent God and um, the different types of love that he shows us. Um, you guys are welcome to continue to reflect on that um, or stand and join us in worship.
I hope you guys know and remember that God loves you and you're dismissed. Bye-bye.